Welcome back to Empower the Audience. Uh, this week I'm going to call it a grog cast, more than a podcast. We spent all day yesterday in the movie theater watching movies, as we did on our right before our first episode of this show, or at least mine and, yeah, I guess it was our, might have been the first episode, uh, doing the Best Picture Showcase, which we'll get into in a bit. Um, that's where you watch all of the Best Picture nominees. Um, over two weekends right before the Oscars. If you're interested, AMC does it. Check your local theater, and you might be too late for this year, but check it out for next year. It's a lot of fun. You literally camp out in a movie theater all day and watch four to five nominees uh, for Best Picture. So we'll get into it now. We'll talk about some TV actually first. Uh, we watched a Hulu exclusive it's a mini, or you might even call it a maxi series. I think it's eight episodes. Mm-hmm. Called Eleven Twenty Two Sixty Three. If you don't know anything about this or have never heard of it, it, it was a Stephen King novel, and it is now a Hulu maxi series starring James Franco, and uh, Chris Cooper plays a prominent role as well. It basically the premise is there is a portal in the basement of a diner that will take you back in time to a specific moment in time in the year 1960. Is that right? Yeah. It's in the 1960, even though the date says 63 is the name. It's uh, 1960, and the concept is uh, James Franco's character is going to try to prevent the assassination of JFK. Mm-hmm. And I will say that I can't comment on the on the entire first episode. I was very tired. We have been there was the hurricane flu season has been coming through our apartment. That's why we did not have a show last week. Um, so I did miss the end of it due to my sleep. <laughs> so uh, Chris can talk about it. He's not. He's promised not to spoil the the ending of it for me. Um, but it was really, it was interesting. It got, I'm sure it got even more interesting as the, uh, the episode went, because you guys really yeah. liked it. <clears throat> the, yeah, the episode was a lot longer than I thought it would be. I thought it was just sitting down for an hour episode, but it was almost like a full movie itself. It was like about an hour and a half. Um, but yeah, the, uh, stories about this modern day teacher, um, slash writer, he's kind of, uh, tired of things he's going through a divorce and you know the kids are very apathetic um he teaches um like high school literature uh and then he night also well, yeah. he does night school for adults um in the same subject of, of like writing and such and um he just kind of is tired of things just people are very apathetic about stuff and this diner he goes to this old man ends up kind of uh showing him how there's this portal in the back of the diner that will take him back to 1960 and each time you go into it you're you go back to that same period and he comes back and he's very sick and so he tells him like you need to complete this task i tried to do which was stop the assassination of jfk and in the book it, go, it goes a little bit more into his reasoning of it um i thought it was um I, th- I thought it was a little bit better set up in the book. Um, it made me feel a little bit... I, f- I understood a little bit more why he wanted to do it. 
which was he felt like the assassination assassination of JFK was this huge watershed moment for the country and really altered where the country went with a lot of decisions that happened from there on out. It's like a loss of innocence. It was yeah. related to the Vietnam War. Mm-hmm. There is documentation that uh, that JFK wasn't pro the Vietnam War and that it was Lyndon Johnson that took it for, to further um, escalation. Um, so what you're saying is it's kind of like a, a stone thrown in a in a in a pond that the ripples you know JFK's yeah. death was kind of like the stone and then the, the yeah, ripples kind of affected history. One thing that just made this country end up how it is, and uh, he the the man Al, the guy that runs the diner, feels like if someone could go back and stop that, there's a chance that the ripple effect of that will really fix this country and make it a better place. And so the guy, the teacher, ends up going back and uh, is going to try to do that. So, yeah. Just to give you an idea of like what he was explaining the, about the kind of the James Franco's character's situation, he's really just kind of like he's trying to hold out hope. There's a great kind of instance of this mm-hmm. where he's got this teacher, this this he's teaching this older gentleman in. Um, in night school and he's really encouraged by the guy's writing talent and all that stuff and that guy's going for a promotion and he finds out that the guy has no shot and then it's just kind of like that one glimmer of hope that he had in teaching you know that that's what kind of teachers look forward to that kind of success story like they actually made a difference even that gets kind of thwarted so he even that one little last thing of hope for him to uh, hold on to was gone so that's part of I think why he's open to actually going and doing something mm-hmm. else and maybe making a difference in a bigger scheme by going back in time and doing this so yeah so yeah so really good we've only seen the one right we, yeah, just so one there'll, there'll so be far. seven there'll be seven uh, of those episodes and since they are on Hulu we There's highly suggest more. you um check them out uh and this is not a plug because we don't have advertisers yet. But if you are interested in Hulu or have been using Hulu or even frustrated with Hulu's uh, commercials or whatever, I highly suggest you try to get their commercial free. It's a, like eleven ninety nine a month or something like that. It's so worth it because it basically be, makes what uh, you might have to wait for on Netflix. You can actually watch you know, a lot sooner um, on Hulu and it commercial free. Um, again, that was not a plug. I don't get money from them. Hopefully, someday I will, um, and or we'll do the advertising thing. But we're not there yet. So, the next one I'm going to talk about is uh, Better Call Saul. I, um, in our household, uh, we kind of all bring the introductions of different entertainment um, at different times. Like Chris might be into something, and he brings it to the group, and then we all get into it. This kind of happens in different ways. With Lainey, a lot of it is books. She introduced us to Hunger Games and Divergent and Fifth Wave and all these things. Um, with me, even though I'm not a super TV guy, it's kind of been TV where I brought Walking Dead to the group. Uh, I got Vince through. Uh, we watched Breaking Bad together. Um, so this uh, Better Call Saul might be something that we watch as a group later. Currently, right now, I am the only one that's been watching it. I watched the first season, and I just started, uh, just finished, literally, right before the show, finished the the first 
episode of the second season. Um, it's a great show. I was I was actually talking to Marshall about how I thought it was interesting that Vince Gilligan pulled a little magic trick and allowed his stay at AMC to be extended by doing this second show in the same universe. Um, you know, it's kind of a thing that they do, you know, now with Fear the Walking Dead and Walking Dead. Um, they're open to that kind of thing, but it's kind of cool that he... It's cool for us that are fans, and it was cool for him that he was able to to do that. Um, if you don't know anything about Better Call Saul, you'd probably have to know stuff about Breaking Bad. Saul is... Um, as you'll find out in the show, Saul isn't even his real name, but um, Saul Goodman is the name of the character. He's a lawyer, and he's introduced as a lawyer, um, kind of a shady lawyer in uh, Breaking Bad. I won't get into too much details because I don't want to spoil anything, but Breaking Bad is set more in the present, basically-ish, where, or at least it's ahead of Better Call Saul. Better Call Saul is finding out how Saul became Saul. And, uh, so, it's, they're, they're both great series. Um, I wrote a review of Breaking Bad on our site. Um, and I, it's just one of those, it just, it comes out of nowhere with a weird premise and it works. Better Call Saul is a great thing too. Just to see, um, the development of this character is really cool. Um, and Bob Odenkirk, who, if if you've never watched Mr. Show, which he does with David Cross, um, a sketch series, uh, you might recognize him as uh, Barney's boss on How um, How I Met Your Mother. Um, he's known for playing kind of obnoxious people. In this one, there's times when he can be that, but he's also sympathetic. Um, Kind of like what you'll see when we talk about the big short about Steve Carell's character. But, um, yeah, it's just, you see this guy that's kind of like nobody's ever thought much of him. And he's just trying, actually, literally he's trying to get by. He's not trying to step on anybody to get ahead. He's just trying to get by, but, but all the time he tries to, you know, you know, just just have at least a modicum of success. It just kind of goes sideways all the time. So um, definitely check uh, definitely check this out. Now there's an op- you have you now have an interesting option when it comes to watching this. You can either watch Breaking Bad first and then watch the prequel of Better Call Saul. Again, uh, he is not the only character from this world that's in it. There's another character um, that gets introduced in Better Call Saul as well. Or you can watch it. Try to watch it chronologically. Either way you go, you'll still just be waiting until Better Call Saul goes off the air. I don't know how long it's going to last. Uh, Breaking Bad lasts five seasons, I believe. So, anyways, great performances, great uh, storytelling. It's it's definitely worth checking out. It's some of the best TV on TV right now. So, Speaking of which, speaking of the same network and the best TV on TV, we just started back to watching Walking Dead. We are in what I call the back eight of this season, which is six, I believe. Are we on mm, season six? Yeah. Yeah, season six of Walking Dead. This show, I, I've said so much about on my shows, on Laney's shows. Uh, I just can't say enough about it. This episode will rock your face off. There's... Uh, 
it, it this show is always good for you know uh an unseen like punch that will just get you and this this um i'm not spoiling anything but this one is intense this first episode um uh there's nothing more to be said than they just keep getting better at what they do uh the the excellence of this show is it's it, i just don't i just love that it's kind of a secret it's not that big a secret cuz a lot of people know about it but there's there's like this dividing line between traditional tv watchers and non-traditional tv watchers and then in midst the non-traditional tv watchers there's the walking dead people although the funny thing is you we watched walking dead semi-traditionally we don't there's no real good place to stream it so other than netflix when you wait for it to come out so we basically dvr it and, and that night watch it a little bit late so we can get rid of the commercials but um this is really i can't think of any other show right now that you could legitimately call appointment television mm-hmm. on to this level if you know then you know if you don't know then hopefully somebody will tell you how good this show is because yeah. it's it's i think i've said it before it's really it's shakespearean in a lot of ways um not in the way they talk obviously but in its depth of drama absolutely and i've watched a lot of shakespeare um i can't say i've read a lot of shakespeare but i've watched a lot of movies and they push you to the extreme dramatically and this show is definitely i think near equal to shakespeare um so again this is just another psa about walking dead watch it um find time find your friends bring them together it'll be a ritual it's our sunday night ritual it's practically church uh so that's what we do now we have been watching through seinfeld with laney because laney had seen it periodically but not all the way through and we are in the home stretch on this one we are in season nine which is the last season we are like how many episodes in Four. like four episodes in maybe five episodes in and it's been a joy for me to watch it again um it's i've never i i watched it quite a bit when it first came out um and i've i've caught reruns here and there but i don't think i've ever watched it all the way through um and uh i i've still missed some because she'll watch it without me sometimes too but it still has been a fun to see the development of the show especially from the very first season it was really rough in the first season and if you don't know any of the history of the show the show could have been canceled multiple times it was really from this one executive branded tartikoff that uh that saved him saved the show i mean he liked it and he championed it that kind of stuff absolutely does not happen nowadays um uh it's interesting because i heard uh i've been talking a lot i've heard uh jerry say that it or even maybe larry david i think said that this show couldn't have worked with cell phones there's a lot that's in the plot that wouldn't have just wouldn't have worked um and i think it was it's not really a time bubble because i think there's a lot that's timeless um i think it because the show is like one concern is comedy there's no concern about making stars there's no concern about Mm -hmm. lovable characters there's no concern about any of the stuff that a lot of tv gets gets done it's like let's find the pretty guy the pretty girl 
make him, you know, fall in love, that kind of stuff. It, it's none of that. And um, I don't know if you guys have ever heard the story, but apparently there was a thing on the wall in uh, the writer's room of Seinfeld that said, no hugging, no learning. I in, in the sense that that's what a lot of sitcoms of the 80s did, and even before that, it's like, what's the little lesson we could put at the end of this episode mm-hmm. and have mom and dad and Jimmy hug? So that's that's really the 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 thing about the show. Um, a little bit of trivia about the show: if you watch it, and there's a George Steinbrenner episode, number one, that's not really George Steinbrenner. George Steinbrenner was the owner of the Yankees, and mm-hmm. and apparently a dark period where nobody really liked Steinbrenner because he made terrible moves. I'm not a baseball person or a sports person. I don't know that part of the history, but if you listen very closely you'll hear that it is Larry David doing the voice of George Steinbrenner. Larry David at one point was the head writer on the show um, he is the uh, George Costanza is the embodiment of Larry David that's pretty much his personality um, but he left I think after season 3 I believe so it was interesting that they actually got him to come back to do the Steinbrenner voice because he does it after season 3 um what are you, what are your thoughts on like Seinfeld? You, you, I didn't watch it a lot when it was originally out. Um, you were young too, I think. Yeah, um, I was a bit younger, but even as I grew up and stuff, I wasn't too familiar with Seinfeld and what it was about. But uh, I've been loving it. It's hilarious. Like every time we watch it, I'm laughing almost the entire episode. And it the, they are it, it's so smart in that they take a joke and they'll pretty much be what the main the main thing that the episode's about. Uh, there's not so much like, you know, you have to see every episode to understand what's happening. There's, you know, so characters are developing, but it's not what it's all about. And I think that's why the show lasted so long and, you know, did so well with the fans of it, is that it was just funny. It took something that everyone could kind of relate to as a joke and did an episode about it. And Yeah, you know, what... It wasn't what? worried about resolving a problem or anything yeah. like that. It just not curing cancer. Just <laughs> make people laugh. The thing that um, that I find interesting now, watching it, seeing it, is most sitcoms up to this point were what you call a one and done or a one shot. They kind of did their story and they were done. But what Seinfeld did was create a universe where not only would you have a character come back. But you'd have little details come back, and that was that was really rare. I never noticed how much that happened. Um, in you know, just in passing comments, they'll be, "Oh yeah, that thing that happened a month ago." They do that. I mean, now that would happen in a drama, maybe mm. that's a bigger story, but not in sitcoms. It didn't happen. Yeah, so, like that- those like side characters, they would have to be there every single episode. Like thinking of like the first thing I just thought of was Full House, like Kimmy Gilbert. Or even like Family Matters. Right. I, mean, I know these are like family. Any comics, of those, yeah. But no, like that exactly side it. character would always have to be there every episode in some way. Whereas like this, there's like the character Newman. We all know who he is. He comes and goes, but it's like he doesn't have to be there every episode involved in every situation. But when he shows up, you're still mm-hmm. laughing. You know who he is, and yeah. yeah. And but there would be things like I know that like even a lesser character that would come back, they would comment on what happened with them mm-hmm. you know where it, it just has a more of a depth in that way i um, remember i think i still have the the issue from entertainment weekly where they did 
an epi- an issue specific special issue just on the minutia of Seinfeld. So it's got all these little little itty bitty details about mm. stuff. Like um, we actually go to a restaurant um, in town here that uses some of the names of uh, of from Seinfeld as the names of their dishes and stuff because it's so quotable and very. I mean, you know, there's a thing called the close talker, so the guy that talks close to you. And it's Seinfeld's sense of humor where he would just tag these these, uh, these different types of things in a way that was easy, digestible, and funny um, that, I, that I think kind of got in people's heads about this show, the people that, that love it. And uh, it's very approachable in that way. Um, the, I mean, just know, if you've never cracked Seinfeld ever, just know... When we say no hugging, no learning, not a not a touchy feely, these are the most despicable characters. A lot of times, they are the most selfish people, and yet somehow they came together to be friends. But they really are selfish people, and uh, so just know that there's there's not going to be any story arc where Jerry gets redeemed or <laughs> there's it's not that kind of show. It's a show about um, just the thing, uh, just these characters that are like selfish. And you were saying something interesting because what I've heard of is the writers, especially Larry David, when he was the head writer on the show, he didn't want to hear any idea for the show that what didn't really happen. Mm. A lot of their stuff was based on actual stuff that happened to the writers mm. or to somebody they didn't know. As long as it really happened, they liked it and they put it in. That makes sense. So that's why it's very grounded and, and it doesn't, as silly as it can be acted, is there's still a sense of kind of truth to what what goes on and stuff. So that's why I think it's so great. So definitely check out Seinfeld. If you're a co- comedy fan and you've never uh, checked out Seinfeld, do that. It's on Hulu right now. I believe they put all the episodes up on Hulu. So uh, check it out there. Um, another 90s show that we've been watching uh, that just came back it was uh, X-Files. Uh, this season has been... I've only been an X-Files fan in uh, about the the movie. The first movie was great. Um, I've tried to watch some the shows here and there. I personally I personally prefer the conspiracy shows versus the monster of the week shows. And that's basically the way they kind of broke things up on the original show is there would be a monster of the week show and then there'd be the government conspiracy alien thing. I, I like that part of it. Um, political stuff in movies interests me. Movies and TV interest me. So that's why I, I got into it. I really liked Fight the Future. That was the, the first movie. I really liked the way they did it. Um, for those of you that don't remember or weren't alive at the time, they did a season finale... And then the movie came out in the summer, and then this the next season opener in September were all connected as one story. Um, so they did a really clever way to, to, to promote that, and I thought that was really cool. Um, this The first episode of this season w- was a home run. It was so good. I, I love the way they basically brought you up to speed. Um with where we are now in history and where how that affects them and uh yeah it was just really good and you know the government conspiracies have only gotten deeper since the 90s so um 
and from 9-11 to everything else that's happened, uh, they, I think that's part of why they decided to bring it back is because they can really go deeper into it. So, um, I've really enjoyed it. Have you as well? X-Files? Yes. Um, oh, that's right. He doesn't like X-Files. I forgot. Well, it's not that I don't like X-Files. I just, I don't like, uh, certain alien stuff. But, I mean, I've, I've heard that it's not so much... I mean, I don't know. I've heard different things about it, so I am interested. I might I might check it out. I would say if this season, if you just watch this season, effectively yeah. that's the only season you watch, I think you'd be okay. Yeah. Um, it's much more approachable. Like I, mm. like I told you, I didn't watch... What, the only real seasons I, I intent or the only thing of uh, the original series, the only episodes I intently watched is Entertainment Weekly, which I subscribe to. Um, they did their best, their pick of the best episodes, um, and so that's what I that's what I watched. It was like maybe ten episodes, and um, they were hit, hit or miss for me. Um, mm-hmm. But so I, I feel you on that concept and I'm not a huge alien fan either I like the government like I said I like the government conspiracy part of it like to me the uh, the aliens could be interchanged for anything else I like that there's a government conspiracy that's mm-hmm. the part I, I like about it so um, so I understand that you don't like it I just wanted to see what they would do with it because um, I also wanted to be justified from the stupid uh, X- X-Files 2 movie whatever that movie was called I don't remember what it's called. I don't even acknowledge it. It was awful. It was some kind of romantic drama with occasional um, actual supernatural stuff in it. It was bad. Um, Yeah. So uh, um, I remember taking a friend that just, oh my gosh, he's a cowboy and he was like so disappointed. He hated it. I I can't even say probably what he said after we were walking out of it. It was bad. So, anyways, definitely check out the new uh, season if you haven't seen it. Um, go back and watch the old if you liked as well. Um, know that Vince Gilligan that did Breaking Bad was a writer on the show. There is an episode with Brian Cranston. It was the episode that Vince Gilligan directed, and that's kind of how they met and established the relationship that became Breaking Bad. Um, so that's pretty cool. Um, the next movie we're going to is a movie that we both looked really forward to seeing, um, although came out with differing opinions on, but it's called Hail Caesar. It's the latest from the Coen brothers. Mm-hmm. Um, it's about old Hollywood, which both Chris and I absolutely love. We, uh, we were actually tonight going to be going to see the Maltese Falcon. Um, and it's just a period of movies that I'm into. I've been to... Most of the stuff I watch is either 40s or 50s. Um, that's kind of my heyday. Um, I like some 30s stuff as well, but um, it's that's where I'm most versed is in the 40s and the 50s, and this takes place in the 50s. Um, basically, if you haven't seen the trailer for it, George Clooney plays the hero of a biblical-era movie called Hail Caesar, and he gets kidnapped. And uh, Josh Brolin is basically the the lot manager of this one studio this one company called capital pictures and um he basically solves all the problems that go on but i don't even know what his title is but that lot manager is probably the best thing to call him and uh so he's got this problem on his hands he's got this huge movie going on and he um has to find this guy and have uh, people help him find him so it's got 
dance numbers. It's got water ballets. Um, it shows a western. Uh, and honestly, the thing that was interesting for me, since I like I know a lot about the old movies, is there was almost one to one comparisons with most of the actors within the movie within the movie so the aquatic ballet was scarlett johansson mm-hmm. and she was like um esther williams which was <laughs> the big uh swimmer aquatic ballet person back then um there was a cowboy that was like uh the actor audie murphy um uh i don't know who channing tatum specifically is but he's definitely a, like a song and dance man um for that gene kelly-ish um I don't think he acted like Gene Kelly, no. but no. but that was the concept of because you know the, you see him as a sailor, so that's that's pretty much the, but uh, but anyway, so that's the whole concept is you know. Uh, what was the name it, of that bar that they were in in that sequence? It was in the swinging dinghy. Oh yeah, yeah. There was a lot of double entendres in that whole episode. Really cool. Um, so in that little the sequence. It was a segment, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure, it was very interesting. Um, but I really enjoyed the movie. Um, I really, I I liked, I like, uh, I like a lot of different kinds of Coen Brothers movies because they do a lot of different kind of movies. If you Mm -hmm. go from No Country for Old Men to this, I'm telling you, totally, totally different kind of movie. You would not know the same people made it. Um, this is more tonally what... Oh, brother, we're out there was for sure. It's more the heightened, silly kind of mm-hmm. comedy, yeah. um, and because it was set where it was set, and the, you know the time and all that stuff, I really enjoyed it. Um, I'm not saying it was a hundred percent perfect movie at, by any means, but it was a blast for me because it hit me right square down the middle of what I like about old Hollywood, and that, and I like that silly comedy that the mm-hmm. Coen Brothers do very well. Yeah. Yeah, you tell me your stuff. Uh, yeah, I there's definitely a lot of parts in the movie that I did enjoy, uh, especially seeing how the old movies were made. You know, you kind of got to see it from different perspectives of like all the people that were making it and the actors that were in it, and even the people running the show way behind the scenes, like the lot manager guy, um, and him kind of solving all these issues coming up throughout the day um, that were being thrown at him and. Uh, I mean, looking back at it and kind of reanalyzing it, it a lot of things made more sense, and it made me kind of realize, okay, this is a little bit more interesting than what I thought when I initially walked out of the theater. Because uh, when I initially walked out, I was kind of disappointed in a way because I thought it was going to be more about like George Clooney's character getting kidnapped, and then like all these actors and people from this movie studio kind of doing this goofy sleuth let's go find them kind of thing and it didn't turn out to be that and not that that is a bad thing um it just it turned out to be a little different and so throughout the movie i was kind of just like what what is really going on because there's all these like kind of different stories happening different people coming in and going and i'm just like like it wasn't like it was overwhelming but it was just like okay what did that have to do with anything but in the end, it all kind of made sense that it's just, it's a day in the life of this guy who's the lot manager, and he has parallel stories going on with, like, his family life, and he's trying to keep that running, while at the same time the studio 
And even, like, the issues with, like, some of his actors kind of paralleled, like, his home life. Like, his daughter, like, he, his kids, he was like, you know, well, I'm worried about this happening and that happening. Well, I'll have to, you know, help them out with that when I get a chance. But then in the end, he finds out, okay, well, things worked out and I didn't really have to do much. But then with the lot issues, like, you know, he had to set up uh, the, the, the one, uh, Scarlett Johansson's character. She has an issue going on. And that kind of solved itself with uh, Jonah Hill's character. Yeah. And it, you know, things like that. And it kind of made more sense when you kind of take it back and actually think about it a bit. And and that's one of the reasons why the Coen brothers are so good is that it's not... A lot of their stuff, you can sit there and watch it once and it's like, okay, that was a lot of fun, great. But then a lot of times you got to, you know, take a step back and actually think about it and... Yeah. Really, then you'll end up appreciating it. Yeah, the thing, it's, it's, I think the best thing to tell anybody that's going to go see this movie or see it later on is Josh Brolin is the main character of the story. So don't think that George Clooney is, even though you see him a lot in the trailers. Josh Brolin, it really is the guy that, um, he's the guy that holds the studio together. So he's like the main character. And, uh, I I liked it from the beginning, but then, uh, we all just, in all honesty, we listened to a review. Um, uh, from Mark Maron on WTF, and he started expounding on stuff that we hadn't even thought about. Mm-hmm. Um, these ideas of Catholicism and faith that, that Josh Brolin's character has, where he's he's really trying to do the right thing all the time, even though he's in this kind of shady business. And um, you know, it's this is, has nothing to do with what happens in the movie, but I'll just say this as an example: Rock Hudson. You know, everybody now knows that he is a gay man, but the studio would set up fake wives for him. This is the kind of stuff that Josh Brolin's character has to deal with. Mm -hmm. And so for him to have to deal with it in that way, as much as he loves the business he's in, you know, I'm sure he's morally compromised in a way where he, there's, you see, like, at least twice he goes into confession, right? I believe it's twice, yeah. (laughs) So he takes what he does seriously, he wants to do the right thing, and... The, like as he said in the in the movie he kind of is able to see at times where he doesn't have to micromanage everything there are some things do work themselves out um so i um i can't wait to see hail caesar again to kind of see more of these this depth that uh that frankly mark Marin was picking up on um and uh, yeah, so I'm definitely really uh, yeah, highly suggest that if you're not familiar with any Co- of the Coen Brothers movies, let me run down a list for you. Um, definitely, uh, Miller's Crossing is a, is ba- basically their gangster movie. I believe it's set in the 30s. It's excellent. Chris hasn't even seen it yet. It's Gabriel Byrne. Really, really, really good stuff. Um, uh, Hudsucker Proxy is a funny one. Um, you've never seen that one either, have you? I haven't seen it. Yeah, that's the one about the guy who who uh, invents the Hulu. Hulu. Part of it is yeah, what it yeah. is, but it's a, it's based on a true story, um, and how they kind of use him as a patsy um, to run the company and whatever. And that's Tim Robbins, and I believe Paul Newman. I'm not positive it's Paul Newman uh, is in that as well, but um, that one's great. Um, I really like Big Lebowski. Um, mm-hmm. I relate to that a lot because it's set in Cali and. <laughs> You know, this is a part of it that, you know, I'm from California, so really love that movie. It's kind of a um, stoner noir is the best way to say it. It's like a film noir, but Jeff Bridges, who calls himself The Dude, um, and it prefers to be called The Dude, 
uh, isn't gets caught up in this um, this big mix. Basically, that's what film noirs are. It's like one guy against all odds gets caught up in this big mess and finds his way through it. And that's kind of basically what that is. Um, with great, I mean, John Goodman is a staple in the Coen Brothers movies. He's always playing an interesting character. A brother, I recently I just said, "Oh, brother, where art thou?" That's a great one. Very silly. What yeah. they call in the past a hayseed comedy. So it's set in the South, and they're all really kind of not the most intelligent tools in the shed. Um, I liked No Comfortry for Old Men a lot. Um, their True Grit was great. I'm kind of literally saying yeah. almost all of their movies, but I'm definitely saying the one that I liked. Um, what about Lady Killers? I actually just recently watched it, and it wasn't <laughs> as bad as I thought, really? but I'm not going to suggest it to people because I think people will be kind of <laughs> not the great. That one was actually a remake. But, um, oh, yeah. and, um, yeah, so those are the ones that I liked. Definitely check those out if you can track them down. Um, there are a lot of, uh, I'm just, they kind of make me proud to be American to have, that we have directors on that level that are, to me, as good as any directors in the world. They're like, their movies are definitely artistic, but they're also very approachable. Um, they're great. Yeah. They're really great stuff. And so now we'll get into the movies we saw um, for the Best Picture Showcase. For the first Saturday, we saw the first one was uh, a couple of guys got together and did a movie. You know, some Hanks was I think was his last name and yeah. Spielberg or something like that. Oh yeah, it was yeah, called Bridge of Spies. Um, Bridge of Spies is a story where Tom Hanks plays this insurance lawyer. This is all based on a true story. Who negotiated... Um, uh, I guess we can say what it is. It's basically... Because it's history. Um, he negotiated a deal for a U.S. Uh, American pilot in exchange for a Russian spy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, in this case, it's not the... That you know how it comes out. It's the... the, the, the how, they, yeah. how he did it and all that kind of stuff. Um, of course... These people are firing in all cylinders. It's Tom Hanks and Steven Spielberg, for crying out loud. Um, I watched it. This is my second time seeing it. Um, I like to like, I like to be able to watch even more. Do you watch the first bit of this movie where this one gentleman who you know nothing about yet, and he's just walking through like Brooklyn or something like that, and just the level of detail in all the buildings... I'm like, okay, I'm in, I'm in good hands with this movie. This movie is so detailed and so well researched and everything. And that's what Spielberg brings to the table for sure. Yeah. Um, he, yeah, that opening part was fantastic. There's very little dialogue, and it it just takes the right director to be able to do something like that to set you up with a story and everything with just such minimal dialogue and you know just good actors and this movie is no exception of uh, his great work. Yeah. yeah, when you can trust the camera to do what it does, a lot of people might not know this, but there's so much that you can do if you've got the right actors that you don't need that much dialogue. Um, you know, so much is, is given without it. And so, sp- speaking of which, this actor, Mark Rylance, is that what I'm saying his name right? I think yeah. this is him. He is... A find like I, I'm assuming he's only ever done uh, theater because I've never seen him anywhere before this. But man, was he good! 
he he just owned the screen. He's the reason why we say there's not a lot of dialogue because in the beginning he's the character that you see, and without dialogue he's just like he just is so present in these scenes. It's so good. And the thing I noticed this time while watching it, because um, I wasn't really following the plot as much because I knew it was going to happen is the relationship between his character and Tom Hanks' character is one of the biggest parts of this whole whole movie. Uh, one of the... Um, it, it's, just, it's just great to see that kind of mutual respect. You know, and let's... Um, Mark Rylance plays a, a Russian spy in the 60s. That's who he is. I'm not spoiling anything. You'll, mm-hmm. um, you'll know that pretty soon off. But um, to see an American lawyer care enough about humanity in general to see past who that guy is mm-hmm. to his humanity and see them know and then the Russian played by Mark Rylance realized that he can actually trust you know his now lawyer there's just this mutual thing going on mm-hmm. it's really awesome to see yeah, yeah. I just looked him up. Uh, it looks like yeah, pretty much everything he's done before is like plays. He's won Tony awards, um, and he's had Emmy nominations. Uh, most recently for that show on BBC, uh, Wolf Hall. Oh, he's a lot of nominations. Yeah, for that yeah. Golden Globes. He was nominated for that too. Yeah, I believe he's Scottish because he's, mm-hmm. he's he has a Scottish accent in the movie. Um, so yeah, you, whenever I see an actor that's that good that I've never heard of, and it's not that I'm like the bomb it's just i i keep up on who's who and what's what actors wise i know they've had to have some kind of theatrical training because they don't just come out of the woodwork like that good so um i it's a great movie it's it's a solid movie it's what you'd expect from uh from the two of them and an interesting time in history uh you know it's got parallels to this time because of how you know the the fear and the terror that 9-11 put into people um is as equal to the fear and the terror that there was going on at the time of the Cold War. Um, so it's definitely relevant. Don't think, oh, I'm going to go see this boring movie about the 60s. Um, it's not even about, because you know, it's not about the hippie 60s, it's about the pre-that. But um, but no, no, it's a great, it's a great movie to see. Um, I was I was thinking of, when I was watching this, like how cool, it, Spielberg must feel cool that he got to like document these little parts of history like the landing, uh, the landing at um, on D Day, yeah, yeah, nor all that, all these little like Gary Powers getting shot down, you know that kind of these little things mm-hmm. that he that nobody has seen, mm-hmm. but he gets to enact them, yeah, and kind of like have there be a reference point to them. Yeah, I wonder if there'll be like a point where you could be like history according to Steve. <laughs> yeah, Power, pretty much like go through like the last like hundred years and it's all like well the way he researches it it's like you know it, it's not it's it's not quite a documentary but it's practically mm-hmm. um so that was the first one the second one we saw we were all kind of dreading in a way i think uh it's a movie called broom if you call it the room don't look that movie up online you don't want to see that movie this one's called room um and it stars Brie Larson as a young mother, and the thing that distinguishes her from other young single mothers is she was kidnapped at a young age, uh, imprisoned in a shed, and impregnated, and now she has, what at the point you see the movie, a five-year-old boy. So, 
it's all about he does a really good job in a lot of senses almost very similar to like a peter weir movie um if you've ever seen master and commander or Deadpool society notice those movies again and watch the scenes without the actors in them or without the acting he's so good at just showing you so much details mm. of a thing yeah. that it's very like that because you just see they don't they don't force feed you anything or like spoon feed you anything you just see this kid has his imaginary life he has an imaginary dog he has like all these little things um when he says you know good night he says good night to everything in the room little things like that little details that they just show you um what's the director's name can you look that up um the thing that i really got blown away by this on a visual scale um not just visual but like he did so much communication not only through visuals but through even through dialogue that was indirect like you got so much from just what he was showing you and what the characters were showing you without you know in that sense it was like it wasn't quite being like a security camera but it was almost to that point where they just were like living in front of that camera and you got so much from them uh uh just little like I, I, there were so many little sequences where they would show different points of view and um sometimes blurry points of view and some just like it was just so well done and it um i think brie larson was really amazing in this i had seen her in united states of terra uh which i thought she was really good in yeah, as well um but and the, but the and the kid is is phenomenal like mm-hmm. kid actors are really naturalistic kid actors are so hard to find they uh, jacob tremblay jacob tremblay was the nine. yeah the director and man no no the, uh, the sorry the actor oh the actor jacob tremblay but the kid the i'm sorry the director he is lenny abramson abramson uh, from Ireland. What else has he done? Uh, he's mostly done independent movies, but the most recent one that you might know is Frank, that had, uh, oh. uh, what's his name, uh, oh gosh, Michael Fassbender in it, where he wears like that, this paper mache head. Oh yeah, 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 I've seen and, his yeah. p- picture Dumbo of that. Gleason's in it, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Oh, I have to see it. Yeah, I think it's uh, on a streaming service. Yeah, I have to check that out. Um, but anyways, now that I've seen this, I'll definitely go see stuff he makes because he's so good at what he does. Um, yeah, as, as far as like the movie being kind of about a really sad thing, it was still a beautiful, beautifully shot movie. Even in that room, um, it, it still ha- it just still looked great um, on screen, and it, yeah. I just love that. Yeah, it's like because it's like what is she, it's like if you think about what is this character going to do with what happened to her? That's kind of the answer or the question everybody is asked about whatever they go through. Mm-hmm. What are you going to do with it? She now has a five year old kid. Is she going to go? That five year old kid represents a terrible time in my life, so I'm not going to like acknowledge him anymore. No, she's going to look at what she's been given and look at it in the best positive way and move forward you know that's the kind of that's that's her struggle is to do is is to keep that going and at times you see you see her frailty you see her inability to cope with it but you see her just push through it 
and um, it's amazing. I don't even want to talk too much about the plot because he he I knew more about the plot than he did going in, and, mm-hmm. but um, I think it's good to kind of protect that. But just yeah. no, it was like amazing performances, um, and there some of the some of the uh, just don't don't do any research when you go if you're going to go see this movie. Just see it or wait until it comes out on streaming and just watch it. Um, it'll be better for you if you experience it in a pure way that way. Um, but definitely really, a uh, surprising, uh, surprisingly good movie. Um, I knew that I probably liked Brie Larson, but that's probably all I knew going into it, uh, other than, you know, a couple of things, but great movie. Now, the next one is Mad Max Fury Road. Um, this was the first Mad Max I've seen, and I almost say that much to the consternation of people I know, um, um, but they can't believe that I've never watched Mad Max, um, like, I have to, like, turn in my mail card or something like that, um, I don't know, but, uh, my man card, but, uh, it was an interesting movie, I think it was great that the, George Stevens, is that his name? Oh, no, uh, George Miller. George Miller. Mm -hmm. Okay, that George Miller directed this. I think it's great that he had this chance to keep telling that story this many years later. What twenty something years later? Because um, Thunderdome was in, still in the eighties. Yeah, I think that was made in the eighties. Yeah, the, it was. That was like the third one, um, and uh, so so that was great. And I thought I had seen like one scene from it, other than seeing the trailer and seeing how that it was a very intense kind of relentless paced movie which i i thought was cool um i did enjoy the movie on the whole i liked the um the design of it was great in that um i was telling chris it felt like there was some source material somewhere that they created this from like that like like that there had been a comic book that they're like okay we're gonna make it look like a comic book it was that level of detail um it was intense. It was the the main actors were all really good. Um, I know his last name is Holt, but I can't remember. Nicholas Holt. Nicholas Holt. Yes, yeah. if you've ever seen about a boy or the more recent X Men movies, he plays the Beast. Mm-hmm. He's in it. Um, and uh, Charlize Theron was great. Of course, she always is. Mm-hmm. Um, and Tom Hardy was great, and he didn't sound too much like Bane, except for one scene. Um, so it's just a, it's a fun to me when I see movies like this. What I take from them being a kind of an I'm not old guy, but I'm I remember older movies and the movies I grew up with in the '70s and stuff like that, which were not a lot of people's movies. They were like more like Smoking the Bandit and stuff like that. So to see big car stunt movies which I don't watch a lot anyways I've never seen any of the Fast and the Furious but to see stuff done practically a lot of it was practically um, on this scale it makes me happy in a sense because I know that there's there's still an industry where those people are going to get jobs and you know all that that, mm-hmm. that to, to me makes me happy because I know it's a tendency well let's just do it CGI because yeah. it's cheaper um, now that it's gotten to the point where it's cheaper um, so that was really cool I did enjoy it I did enjoy a lot of elements I liked the the world that was really created again I'd never seen any of these before I don't think any of the things were necessarily in any of the other 
movies were they? No. Because like? mm-hmm. there's Sony, like little town. There's like Gas Town and. Yeah, there's the Citadel, which has like a lot of water and vegetation, and then there's the Gas Town, which obviously obviously has like the gasoline stuff. Bullet Town. Uh, Armory, probably. Yeah. So really interesting, unique characters. Um, Chris informed me that the villain was actually a guy from the original um, mm-hmm. movie, uh, but they actually made it. Made, they gave him a mask and stuff, so you couldn't necessarily tell that it was him. Is he the guy with the mohawk from the original movie? The guy with the mohawk? Isn't that oh, a guy? Um, well, I wonder. But anyways, anyways, so um, it was enjoyable. There is one point of issue that we that uh laney and i and marshall kind of took with the movie and there's a scene when they're kind of doing their big push as a chase the bad guys going after max and charlie's through and all that stuff and they show these guys with drums on their truck or whatever which is cool like war drums that's cool and then you hear a guitar we're like well that's fine it's a cool guitar and then they show this guy with a stacks upon stacks of speakers in a ridiculous costume, playing a, an electric guitar, and fire shoots out of the neck of the guitar. That, to me, was... Yeah, it was just the one thing that kind of deflated the rest of it being cool. It, it was just like, it was just a little bit too much. So, I, that was the, that was literally the main problem I had with the movie so it was a minor thing um, but it did become a source of a conversation afterwards because it was so ridiculous um, that it didn't to me it didn't take away from the movie it didn't it was okay I mean I was fine with the rest of the movie and I could enjoy it again I would be, um, but it was that would that would have been my one pet peeve of the movie is that that guy should the, even if though they put him in there they didn't kill him off they should have killed him off because that was annoying. <laughs> but um yeah I discovered about the uh, backstory of that guy oh did they have a backstory of yeah uh, basically when he was a kid his mother was killed in front of him and uh Morton Joe the big bad guy from this that's running the Citadel he ends up finding him out in the middle of nowhere, still with, like, holding his mother's head. But he takes him in, and he was a musician before, him and his mother. And he grows up and becomes the guitar-playing kind of leader of their war boys. Every time they go out, he's out there, you know, rallying the troops with his guitar in giant mound of speakers. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, yeah, and the creepy thing, too, is that his face, you know why it looked weird? That was the mask of his mother. Oh, wow. Yeah. That is creepy. <laughs> um, okay, well... That's why I get like a zombie to you. <laughs> again, I will definitely see the movie again. Um, I might fast forward the, the that guy, but... Anyways, so... Um, if you want to talk more about the movie... I mean, uh, no, I talked about it before. Yeah. On here, so, I mean, I loved it. I loved it again. Though, I did have kind of a headache at the end of this time. It was I don't know so if it was loud. I was closer... Or what? Maybe it was louder. I think they just had that theater cranked. Uh, maybe. Because um, we'll get into the other part later. Boy, it was so great. Okay, so the the last movie we saw the night was The Big Short. Mm. This is a movie about our recent history in the financial um, sector of America. 
um, why we have been in the recession for so long. Um, this movie is about the guys, not that that brought us to in, into a recession, but it's about the guys that literally played discovered it and then they they made money off of it not making money off of people but making money off the banks who made money off of people so the you can actually not hate the guys that are the main characters of this movie um this movie was written by as i'm looking at my my thing behind adam mckay was one of the writers. adam mckay yeah i was looking at the oh my uh, michael lewis Mm-hmm. I was looking at the guy who wrote the book. The guy that wrote yeah. the... Um, he also wrote Moneyball and The Blind Side. Mm-hmm. Um, the the books that were those movies are based on. Um, this movie, I knew uh, quite a... I knew pretty good amount of, about this movie. I knew that uh, the number one, they're actually playing real guys in it. It's not a fictionalized telling of it. So you have Christian Bale is the first guy that discovers it. You have Steve Carell, probably the last to the game of it. Um, Ryan Gosling, um, who brings the idea to um, Steve Carell's character, and then Brad Pitt, who's in a separate part of the story. They're doing the same thing, but he's he's not connected to the other people. Um, believe it or not, they made the financial com- cr- the crisis into a comedy. Um, it really is funny. Uh, the reason why it's funny is because Adam McKay. If you ever if you've never heard that name. There's a couple of things you have to thank him for. You have him to thank him for uh, his years on Saturday Night Live. You have to th- him to thank for most of Will Ferrell's movies because he's Will Ferrell's buddy. You also have him to thank for uh, thank him for Funny or Die because mm-hmm. he started Funny or Die with Will Ferrell. And if you've ever seen that first video that they, they called Pearl with the <laughs> little drunk quote unquote drunk landlord girl, mm-hmm. that's Adam McKay's daughter. So. Um, that's the kind of thing. So now this was uh, an interesting ta- thing to watch because Lainey and I definitely felt the brunt of this. The reason why we were in Florida has a lot to do with the recession and um, what we went through, um, struggling to find work in California. And um, it really doesn't deal with the dramatic part of it till, till the end. Up until that point, it's pretty much just the, the, the there's a lot of comedy in it. Um, I really enjoyed the movie. I think he handled it really well. For Adam McKay to move from, even though there was comedy in this, is like I still think it's a step up from anything he's done before. Oh, yes. yeah. um, it's just to show that he can actually, you know, do more. Um, this is his Truman Show, like you, you know, like mm-hmm. it was for uh, for um, I'm blanking on his name, Jim Carrey. Um, yeah, so I I highly suggest seeing this movie. It was funny to see um, the guy Schmidt from uh, New Girl playing a total DB um, real estate yeah. guy. And you said that... Well, you, he was a mortgage Mortgage broker, guy. Which my mother was a real estate agent during that time period and leading up to all of that and met a lot of people that were in real estate and kind of like the woman that was showing them houses in Florida Mm -hmm. and kind of like trying to make the best of like what they knew the situation was and then also meeting a lot of those mortgage brokers who you know lived like they were rock stars because they would get these giant bonuses from banks um, for giving out terrible loans to people that really should not have been getting these loans and I thought it was perfect like I 
saw, yeah, the, uh, I don't know the actor's name, but yeah, like Schmidt and this other guy, I'm just like, I've seen like at least 15 of those people in real life. And yeah. they're exactly like that. They're just like, I don't care. I'm making tons of money and, you know, who cares if these people are going to, you know, have problems down the road. That's not ever going to happen. Yeah. I thought it was funny that the guy that was with Schmidt when uh, that was also in Bridges Spies. That's what I thought. Okay. Yeah, he was the yeah. junior partner to Tom Hanks. He mm-hmm. looked familiar. Yeah. Um, so, basically, <laughs> so I'll summarize the plot. We all kind of know the plot because we lived through it. But the the you get all stories represented. But Steve Carell's story, basically, his firm goes deeper and deeper into this, what they see as the crisis... And they are always are constantly dumbfounded by how nobody's doing anything about he, it. He's kind of like a guy that looks for like problems and stuff and tries to, you know, champion it or make more people aware of it. He tries to be a good guy in a way. Yeah, that's what, and that's what we were talking about earlier when when I said we were going to talk about it. He can be seen as obnoxious on the surface. He definitely is not a person that's diplomatic or, um, or you know, kind that in that way in an, in a surface level. But what he said, he had some tragedy in his life, and it kind of turned his life around to where the point where he does try to stick up for the little guy in a, in a way. So, um, yeah. and seeing that this is going to happen, he's not just like, okay, well, it's going to happen. Why not profit? It's well, why is this happening? Like, who's causing this? What's causing this? Why aren't we doing something to prevent this? And, yeah, you see him and his team kind of going more and more into that, and you're just like, wow, this was a bigger deal than just people not paying their loans. Yeah, I mean, basically, you just see, like, at one point, this isn't spoiling, one thing, he has this one conversation, and you just see him constantly going... I can't believe that this guy is saying this with a straight face. Oh, I can't oh, believe yeah. that this is actually that they're that they're smiling back at me, saying that they're ripping people off, and they have no conscience about it. Like because what they found out is there were so many layers. Like this whole economy thing was like onions upon onions of just layers upon layers of fraud mm-hmm. that. It was so deep that that's why once it hit its peak or whatever, everything, it was like literally a house of cards. Everything just collapsed. And so, um, yeah, I mean, it's it's an astounding movie. It's, I mean, it's kind of like uh, um, All the President's Men if, if it were a comedy. It's very similar to that kind of story where you just couldn't believe how messed up things were. Um but uh, at least you have people like you know Steve Carell's character to hold on to. Um, uh, I would say uh, Brad Pitt's character is kind of an interesting thing because he kind of got out of it, the the, the business of of, of uh, banking and stuff banking and stuff like that, and it was pulled back in by a couple of young guys. Um, but still, he kind of keeps his own um, compass when it when it comes to that um, his moral compass, and so. I highly suggest it. It's a, it's, I mean, it's, it's not a hard one to watch. It definitely gets dramatic towards the end where you, you see the poignancy of when it gets really at its, at its lowest. But, um, 
he keeps it light enough that you can really tolerate it. So and I I really enjoyed it. It was I think it was um it was my number one of the ones we saw and um so yeah, definitely give that one a shot. Check it out. Um we will be I think next time we're going to we'll have another one of these for the next time and then I know since um, he and I watched Jane Got a Gun, we're also going to, in the future, do a couple of westerns, um, and we'll do our picks for the westerns that we like. Um, that'll be probably two episodes down the line. Um, check us out. We're going to be start making sure that we post on Instagram and Snapchat and all that kind of stuff, trying to bring up our social presence online, and um, just stay tuned, because we'll be coming with more episodes at you. Um, the website has what it has um it's on hold right now uh we just got too much else going on to be able to write so much but um check out at movie guy 84 mm-hmm. he's on twitter what are your other uh mainly uh instagram instagram and it's at is it movie guy 84 on instagram yep okay and i'm Corey estel um on at twitter at Corey estel um I am on Instagram. I'll try to be on there more. Um, I am Corey Estwell on Instagram, I believe. Um, so definitely check out there. Uh, that would probably be the best places to find our stuff while we were doing it. We'll take more pictures and try to share more with you as we go. Until later, when we come back to you next week with our more best pictures. Thanks a lot, guys. Talk to you later. Bye. Bye.